hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for another installment of our Fresh Fields MedTech podcast series. Today, I'm joined by Marissa Fair, who is unapologetic about her passion for all that is good, just, and fair in life. She has particularly moved the needle in the area of health equity for women, has an amazing background in the med tech industry, and is a trusted business advisor, a speaker, CEO, and founder of Her Health EQ. And we're just so delighted to have her here today to share her passion and uh, tell us more about her vision to create access and availability for people to experience health equity around the world. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Marissa, so delighted to have the opportunity to chat with you today. I've been following your amazing progress over the years, but for our listeners, would love to uh, have you tell us a little bit more about your path from engineering through business development to venture. Well, let me just say thanks for having me and that um, secondly, none of it was planned. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people seem to think like, oh, she's, you know, great tra trajectory. No, none of it was planned. I went into medical device manufacturing. I actually thought I was going to go into aerospace and changed in the middle. So I didn't even know what medical device manufacturing was or, you know, medical devices were. And so I was grateful. I was recruited in. And, you know, once you're in med device, you kind of never leave because you know that there's a lot more out there and you're helping, you know, people. And that was kind of always my path. And so kind of did that. And my plan was to continue to kind of like rise the ranks up through corporate. And, and I was doing that. And from my perspective, like, it was great. I was in mergers and acquisitions. I was creating new products. I developed, uh, I was on the development team for the 3D mammography system. Um, I was starting to, to focus in women's health and, you know, just with the companies I was working at. And I was starting to move around the world with these companies and it was great. And then, you know, 15 years in, I got a little burnt out and, um, and, and was also moving kind of everywhere and was kind of ready to come home. And so, I don't know, somebody was like, great, you should you know, you should be a consultant. And um, I'm pretty sure that meant I should be going to a consulting firm, not starting my own consulting firm. But obviously, I didn't pay attention to that. So, um, so yeah, so I started consulting. And because I was in mergers and acquisitions, I thought it was really interesting kind of being a subject matter expert and, and kind of working with the PE firms. And so I was advising them on a lot of their work. I was working with startups. I continue to work with startups. And so like, it just it kind of became very similar using my past experience moving into you know this new area with new companies and new technology which is where i was always kind of focused on anyway and then that's how i got into venture because i was working with a lot of the companies it was really interesting then you just align kind of what you're working on i, I do a lot of work in developing countries so a healthcare venture fund came back you know came to me and said hey we're looking at investing in africa great Obviously, I'm focused on women's health, so, uh, you know, and I'm pretty outspoken about it. So, you know, Women's Health Venture Fund, you know, approached me to be the Euro's partner and, you know, all of these things, like it just kind of lined up. So the short answer is none of it was planned. Super happy it happened. <laughs> and I'm sure each of those incremental steps has helped to just round out your perspective. I, I love hearing how people's puzzle pieces in their lives come together 
to make this like very three-dimensional experience. So I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about you know, global women's health and med tech issues. What are some of the trends that you're seeing and that you're really excited about? Yeah, it's becoming a really exciting space. And it's this phrase, obviously, femtech, which is one of the words I actually hate most. But every you know venture team and firm and you know the industry needed to needed a name, so that's what it's called. But it's starting to broaden out into more of the women's health side. But I'm really excited that it's actually more than just fertility. So that's really exciting because uh, in the beginning it was just fertility because that was all everyone understood as femtech. Right now it's mainly U.S. focused, which makes sense because it's the largest market. But the rest of the world is really starting to open up to women's health. So we're starting to see a lot more. Um, in Europe, in Singapore, you know, in other parts of the world. And, and I think also in med tech in general, especially post-pandemic, everyone's starting to focus a lot on efficiencies and speed and connected health and, you know, how to make things easier for the doctors and the patients as well. There's a complete global lack of medical professionals, and we need to make the medical professionals that we do have more efficient, more time efficient, making better decisions that help make decisions better for the patients and outcomes better for the patients. So those are some of the trends that I'm seeing. I think it's going to continue to evolve that way, regardless of the economy or recession, non-recession, you know, healthcare, unfortunately, and fortunately is one of these areas that continues. So from my perspective, like these trends are going to continue. And even in a recession market, healthcare is still important and efficiencies are needed even more so than anywhere else. And I think there's also just such a need to increase access to care for sure, and to also sure. involve a broader range of caregivers as we think about health in a more holistic way, as we see, you know, our aging populations, you know, doing more kind of aging in place. You know, we're seeing more about like the hospital at home. And I think with that comes a much broader, more diverse range of users who need to be able to effectively interact with this med tech. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's where connected health really becomes a big thing because, you know, the aging population is actually relatively, you know, technology savvy. And so they're, they're actually demanding it because they don't, a lot of them have retired and especially, uh, you know, in the last few years, a lot of people have moved and they don't want to come back to the cities. They still want to speak to their doctors that they trust, but it's more about time efficiency for everybody to live this great life that we took for, for great advantage of, um, and kind of got, you know, taken away from us for a little while. And, and everyone really wants to, to live that life and, and they want to do it on their terms. And so, you know, with aging and with mental health and, and with all of these massive global issues, like the connection and efficiency and speed is really important. Absolutely. I'd love to hear more about some of the creative solutions that you've seen to address the health of, you know, perhaps the elderly, you know, women of color, groups that have perhaps traditionally not really been represented at the table when folks are thinking about the first priority in rolling out health initiatives. Yeah, I'm glad everyone's starting to focus on that. And and I think I also think it's quite honestly because the the funders are changing um, as far as venture capital goes there. While it's still abysmal, you know, there's a lot more women, there's a lot more women of color, there's a lot more people of color. So they're 
asking these questions. I also think the funders, the VCs, the PE firms, you know, the investors are getting older and they're like, oops, what about us? It's not just about sports medicine anymore. So um, I think that's helping a bit to our advantage for, for us being able to talk about it a lot more. But there's a lot of like creative solutions that are are out there. We all still, still need to think about like how to obtain this care digitally. Um, there's still a lot of technology issues that need to be addressed that need to be addressed, especially in the, the context of equity. But because everyone's talking about it, it's now kind of in the forefront of everybody's mind, which again, I think is really important. I know that there's a lot of companies that also have like very specific women of color groups to discuss like what areas of health that need to be addressed. So um, I was speaking to a colleague of mine and she was saying that there is a, you know, at their firm specific groups and they're talking about like, oh my God, you know, certain populations take care of their families and, you know, personally more than others. And so they have elderly parents at home while they're going to menopause and how do they take care of them and how are they getting care and where do they find these resources and things like that. And I think that that's really important for people to be talking about, which is, which is new. And then going back to women of color and also equity and parity, you know, one of the things that I'm working on is, is I became the president of Deep Look Medical. And, you know, we don't specifically focus on women of color, but our technology helps to ensure that there is more equitable care. Um, women of color typically have more dense breasts, um, which are harder to see through and diagnose for breast cancer. And so we've created a, a great radiologist tool that enables the visualization of masses through dense breasts, which allows for faster and better diagnosis. And so for a disease where women of color are diagnosed later than other women, this enables equity and parity. And so it's, and it's just one of the t- many, many tools that are there. And there's so many other companies that are addressing it. And there's a lot more companies and people talking about it um, even more. So it, it's an exciting time and space to be in, let's just be honest. Absolutely. And I think... Like, what are you seeing? I want to hear what you see. <laughs> you know, one of the other things I'm seeing is through the use of techniques like decentralized clinical trials, a lot more remote connected devices we're expanding the realm of what can be assessed earlier on and we're capturing more indications and we're capturing a broader population that maybe couldn't get to the academic medical center across town for two and a half hours, you know, taking time out or in order to, you know, use public transportation to get to these academic medical sites, they would not take certain of their medications. And so by the time they got to the site, their health didn't really represent their ongoing, like, you know, normal stasis. And so when we have greater engagement from the clinical trial level on, we also just get a broader, more representative data set. And as we're seeing so many uses of AI and machine learning, if you're trying to, you know, employ some of these techniques, but your input data is fundamentally not representative of the broader population, your ultimate conclusions can also be either wrong or misleading or incomplete. And so I think that it's a whole process of changing how we think about the inputs and how we think about inclusion from step one. Yeah, and I also think, you know, exactly what you said, one of the few things that the pandemic did and helped us with was kind of decentralizing clinical trials, why, you know, there can be some clinical data that's taken at home. 
you know, with some of these home tasks or, you know, some other, you know, things that can be sent at home because now there is, now it's very popular to do video calls and, and telemedicine and all of these things where, again, like you're saying, somebody doesn't have to drive or commute or figure out how to get somewhere two and a half hours each way and their heart rates are elevated because they had to like run in and they're going to be late. And now that just throws off the data. You're able to get people in Kansas as opposed to, you know, middle of New York. And I think also the fact that we saw so many disparities and health equity issues specifically related to who was getting sick, how they were being treated, that became very forefront that, you know, I know that there's clinical trials that are being run. I live in New York. So for example, they're being run in the Bronx as opposed to midtown Manhattan. And you're getting a different subset of people And, um, you know, I speak at a conference, um, outsourcing clinical trials, and this is the topic, like how to bring more diversity in. I mean, the other topic is like, finally, women are being included in clinical trials and, you know, (laughs) pregnant women are not even barely being included either. Uh, I mean, but the fact that it was only 1973 that women were even allowed to be in a clinical trial, I mean, like that's just abysmal. So, you know, things are changing and uh, all these manufacturers, they're actually, especially if drugs or or devices or anything or any med tech, they're being required to show their, you know, all of their clinical trial data and who is in this trial and their diversity. And that's actually being asked of now, which never happened before. So, you know, silver linings, um, things are changing, obviously, at a very slow pace, but it's better than not changing at all. And and I think that there's going to be some positive news that comes out of this. I completely agree. I think it's as companies start thinking more about kind of ESG and the health component of that S in particular. We had a fascinating discussion with uh, Shannon Klinger, the CLO of Moderna and president of the Moderna Foundation uh, in early June. And one of the comments that she made, which was really fascinating to me, was that Moderna looked at who was enrolling in their clinical trials, decided it wasn't diverse enough, took a pause, which, you know, maybe led to them not being the first manufacturer of the vaccine on the market. But they really wanted to have a broader population in order to increase trust in the vaccine as a kind of public health and and more general matter. So when you see companies, you know, basically putting their priorities in a real way on health equity. I think that's where we're going to see the change. And hopefully there'll be an acceleration of that emphasis. Yeah. And I require that, like from all the companies that I work with, like if we are not diverse in our, in any of our clinical trials or any of our data, you know, like while it's wonderful to go to, you know, Boston, New York, you know, the Mayo Clinic or, you know, those places, it's great. That's not diverse. Like running a trial, University of Kentucky. Okay, well, that's that's uh, you know far more diverse than than anywhere else, and and you know we're gonna like it is required like, and I think it's if people like us ask for this, the ones that are designing these trials, running these companies, and demanding it, here's when change starts to happen. I think that's right, and maybe we can kind of contrast that with women's health issues in maybe lower middle income countries. Can you tell us a little bit more about her health EQ and the story behind that? Yes, the famous story is that it started in a bar, um, or the idea for it came up in a bar, but uh, uh, thankfully not, you know, we're not uh, incorporated there. <laughs> um, but um, 
I was working in Costa Rica uh, with one of the companies I was working with, um, Hologic, the leading, continues to be the leading women's health company. I moved down to Costa Rica as a result of an acquisition, but just before that, I was on the development team for the 3D mammography system. And so when you have new models of things that come out in new versions, older versions come back. And a lot of times they're retrofitted and they're, you know, sold out into to lower markets or, or they're scavenged for parts or they're just thrown in the trash or things like that. And I conceptually knew that, but like, I didn't really pay attention. And then I was in Costa Rica and a friend of mine was like, oh, you know, just randomly, like women are dying of breast cancer in this region in Costa Rica, of which we have a big manufacturing facility. Like it's a, it's a really big industry, medical device manufacturing. And I said, well, you know, and she was like, yeah, it's because their mammography machine broke down 10 years ago. And like the government just never got around to replacing it. And, you know, when you're 30, you're like, yeah, it's fine. I'll get you one. Like, let's be super cavalier about this and think that it's the easiest thing in the world, which I can tell you it's not, especially in multiple countries. But, you know, we facilitated the donation of a mammography machine, which is still working to date over 10 years later. And the, the breast cancer rates have dropped dramatically, you know, by, by at least half. And, it, you know, doing something like that, I just started to think about, like, what else can be done? What else what other pieces of equipment can be repurposed? Like, why did nobody think about this? And there are other companies that think about this. They think about it on a broader scale and they repurpose from hospitals and, you know, they put it into a container and ship it somewhere else. We're a little bit more directed. So Her Health EQ, we focus specifically on women and women's non-communicable diseases. So diabetes, heart disease, maternal health, and cancers affect women. These are diseases that oftentimes are almost forgotten about. So it's like this middle, like, yay, um, you no longer have, um, you know, TB and malaria and you have enough water and food and all of these great things. And now you're living long enough to get heart disease and you have some money to buy sugary foods. And that's a sign of wealth, um, but it's also not a sign of health. And you're living longer to get cancer, but we don't know what to do with this. So the healthcare systems are not strong enough to be fully staffed for that. So what we do is we repurpose medical equipment and it's refurbished. We provide multiple year service contracts and we get it to where it's needed. We get it to the doctors who are working to address these problems. We don't set up our own clinics. We don't set up our own kind of camps or programs. There are amazingly trained doctors all around the world. We focus on um, kind of the middle income countries um, just because they have the, uh, the structures and the sustainability to be able to support um, equipment like this. But we're talking about ultrasound machines that can be used for multiple disease states. We're talking about EKG monitors. We're talking about pulposcopes to detect for cervical cancer. It's just, it's really interesting, just especially because lower and middle income countries have different statistics and priorities, obviously, than, than we do um, here. And so, you know, it gets to a point where I was seeing that that because of a color change and a logo change and a merger, you know, something changed and, and there's equipment being thrown away where people who don't have it don't care what color your logo is and they don't care that there's a scratch because quite honestly, it's going to get there with the scratch on it anyway and nobody cares. And I know it's an image and a brand thing for a lot of these companies, but getting your equipment to where it's needed, I personally think is far more important than, you know, the shade of color of your logo. In my opinion, I'm not in marketing, so I'm sure the marketing people will kill me, but you know, like that's, that's kind of what we, what we feel. And we, um, we have equipment out in seven different countries at this point. 
Um, over $149,000 of equipment has been repurposed where we've impacted over 27,000 women's lives. Like we're moving forward. We have massive audacious goals and, and it's exciting because like that's the heart work um, and it's important work as well. Absolutely. It's just so incredibly inspiring. And I hope that folks to hear this think about ways in which they too can, you know, adopt this sort of model as they're thinking about kind of innovation and its effects within within their organizations and, and in their communities as well. Yeah, because innovation doesn't have to be a new product. It can just be a different way of thinking. And that's kind of what we've done. What we do here in the States is not necessarily the best. So the way that they test for cervical cancer in lower middle income countries is a WHO standard and it's a vinegar solution. It's incredibly cheap. It's highly efficacious. But, you know, like we don't have that as standard of care here. It's no better, no, no, no worse. It's, you know, it's very similar. So I think we just need to think of different ways and think of different ways of innovation because there's no reason that a woman should not have care just for the sole reason of where she lives. Like that's just, that's preposterous in my, in my mind. I completely agree. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Do you have any closing thoughts for, for folks who are listening? Um, I think everyone just needs to like, you know, take action. And, you know, you don't like, like I said in the beginning, like I didn't plan this, never start, plan to start a nonprofit, never plan to, uh, you know, work in startups, never planned that. So we were talking about her LTQ, like it just started randomly. I, you know, there was an idea, there was something, I figured it out. So like in your mind, if there's something that you want to do, start taking action. And it could be within a startup or a corporate, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or a social enterprise or even a side project. Like, you know, just start focusing on what you want. And, and there's so much more information now than there was obviously in the past. But like, listen, it's all going to be hard work. Nothing's easy. And so just, you might as well enjoy it. And so the other side of that is making sure it aligns to your values and your mission. So my values and mission are are very tightly aligned to health equity. So I'm making sure that everything that I work on is very tightly aligned to health equity, making sure that there's gender parity in in leadership um, and all the companies I work for, uh, making sure that we're also giving back at the same time. Like these are things that personally are important to me that I can bring to these organizations and we can all move forward and and create a better world with income, with just great movement forward for technology and innovation. So one is not inclusive or exclusive of the other. So just, you know, stand up for what you believe in. I love that. Perfect closing thought, Marissa. Such a delight to spend time with you. I think folks will really enjoy hearing this conversation and we'll leave a little bit more inspired to think innovatively in the broadest sense of the word. 